What is it you want? Real estate. It's the Red Hot Real Estate Show, where we can all find out how's it going for buyers and sellers in the real estate market. I have died and gone to real estate heaven. Looking to move? Hoping to sell? Call in with your questions to real estate expert Mimi Shoneman with Remax Results. I'm going to go out and buy a house. Here she is, your host, Mimi Shoneman. Yes, she is here, Mimi Shoneman from the Red Hot Real Estate Group and Remax Results. She is with us. Hello, Mimi. How's Good it going morning. this morning? Good. Ah, so much going on, so much going on. So also with us, we have Mr. Phil Olson on us as, uh, on the line as well. Hello, Phil. How's it going over there? Good morning, my talkers. Hello, hello, hello. And so we do want to get right into it today because there's been a lot of things going on. So, Phil, can we start with your NMLS numbers, please, this morning? No problem. NMLS 238103 and company NMLS 2129. And so as we cover this information, we'll make sure that we give all of the ways that you can get a hold of Phil. If you have any questions, how you can get a hold of Mimi. But Mimi, we were going to go right into all the things that are going on right now, right? Well, we're in the summer months now, and it's the perfect time for people. Well, it's the perfect time. Everybody's starting to think, oh, I just want to get away. I want to be on the water. You know, is now the right time to think about a second home? And Phil and I were talking about it. Phil's getting a lot of calls, and as am I, about people with lots of questions about what they can do in the market. And Phil, just real quick, like for this past week, what were some of the lowest interest rates folks could get? Uh, 2.5% on a 15 and 3% or 2.875 on a 30. Okay, so that's ridiculously low. And so we're going to talk about some of the advantages and maybe some of the disadvantages that folks are facing right now. And Phil, you know, let's just kick it off. We're going to talk about second homes. Uh, Who wouldn't want to have a beautiful home on the water? I think people are just going, you know, I can't go to some of the other staycation getaways I have. They're going, I wish I had gotten a second home before now so that you had options. Right. Or maybe you're living in the city and you're like, you know what? I'm done with this stuff. Uh, I just want to get away. I want to move someplace where I can have some tranquility. And so, Phil, let's talk about some of the programs that are available for folks, for folks that are thinking that's something that they've always wanted to do and life is short. And so they just want to get after it. Well, the difference in a second home or an investment property, you're not going to be using a government loan. So when we talk about, you know, VA loans, FHA loans, USDA loans, or even down payment assistance loans, those specific products are primarily for a primary residence. Where when, it, when you have a second home, things become a little bit more difficult because you're going to be required to have reserves and you're going to be required to have a down payment. Uh, I hear all the time from folks that want to buy a second home, well, do we have to put 20% down or, or my lending institution is telling me I have to put 20% down, but I did some research on Google that says you can put down less. So, you know, one, one of the key things with the second home is your minimum down payment is 10% down. Now with a 10% down model, you're going to have mortgage insurance, but mortgage insurance is, is really cheap for those clients that are buying second homes because they predominantly have high reserves, high credit, great jobs, or, or a great income stream. So it really begins with a conventional loan. 
There's multiple products of conventional loans. You could do an adjustable rate mortgage, which could either be a three or a five-year arm or even a 10-year arm, depending on how long you're going to stay in the property. Then again, most people today are migrating to a, a strictly a rate and term, fixed rate, no prepayment penalty. And, th- and then you're looking at a 30, a 25, a 20, or a 15. Okay, so Phil... Why would somebody, when money is so cheap right now, do an adjustable rate? What would be some of the reasons that folks would choose that option when they have cheap options in the conventional market? Uh, that's a great question, Mimi. I would, I would tell you, I don't think there's a reason to do one because most of your adjustable rate arm pricing or rates are not as competitive as a fixed rate. Uh, so in my opinion, there's really no reason to be using an adjustable rate mortgage at this point in time. Okay. So, you know, when we talk a lot of industry jargon, um, sometimes we use terms that folks don't understand. Um, even people who are in the business that maybe hasn't, haven't had to face some of these words, um, some newer folks. So can you talk a little bit about how Supreme might be different with regard to what's called an overlay? Oh, that's a great question. Since we're what's considered a golden eagle lender, we are a direct lender to the federal government when it comes to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginnie Mae. Now, Ginnie Mae is for your government loans, whereas Fannie Mae and and Freddie Mac are strictly conventional rate products. The difference is because of our superior level that we have and our financials, we don't have any specific overlays over the top of either Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, which means that an underwriting decision is basically made by the book. And a lender cannot put on additional restrictions or they could say, you want to know something? We really don't want to do a 10% down product because it's too risky. We're going to force all our consumers to put 20% down or 25% where we don't have that. Uh, another big thing is that's important to the consumer is when an underwriter underwrites a specific loan, they are going to go strictly by the book. So if that underwriter, per se, was having a bad day, they could not influence the decision of the underwriting approval by going, I just don't like this loan. It doesn't, no, I just don't like it. They can't do that. So the big benefit is, is where other lenders will turn down loans, we don't turn them down. Okay, so let's just give a specific example. So let's just say, for instance, that a buyer, right when we went into the shutdown, that there were a lot of a lot of lenders that basically stopped doing certain loans or they maybe added additional fees or additional hoops that you had to jump through. That's what an overlay is, right? Where a particular company can say, okay, so the government guidelines are this, but just to cover me, protect me, I'm going to add this hoop or this fee or this percentage. That's what an overlay is, correct? Correct. And if I can just break it down into simple terms, it comes down to risk. So if the specific entity feels that what they're doing is too risky, they'll put additional restrictions on it. 
Whereas we, our risk is all based on basically our Bible. Okay. We go by the book. And if the consumer meets the specific guidelines, the loan must be approved. Okay. So that is really good to know. So I don't think, in fact, I, I know that the majority of consumers do not understand overlay. Agreed. 100%. Agreed. Because you go, well, how come this person told me no when it seems like, as you said, Phil, I Googled it and it said that I should be okay doing this, but then you still get a no. And here's what I know for for a fact as well. People think that where you bank, where you keep your savings or your checking account is the best place to go first. Because you have a relationship with them. Because you, you trust them enough to right. stick your money in that place. And they make it sound like it'll be so easy. Because everything's in one place. And you know them. You mm-hmm. see them weekly. You go right. in and you put your check in the thing. Yep. And then that's what happens. So, Phil, how can we educate folks to, to understand how do, they, how do they bring the question up to find out if where they're looking has an overlay? And, and are overlays always bad? Um, I'm going to start with you. Is overlays always bad? Uh, I'm, a, I'm gonna say no to that question. I think there's there's some specific restrictions that should be followed that make common sense. And and, and if it meets the common sense box, then that, then, that, then it should be done. Uh, what I hear all the time from consumers is when they call me, they've already talked with two or three other lending institutions, and it could be a bank, it could be a credit union, it could be another, it could be even another broker. And they go, well, Phil, why is it different with you or why is it you're telling me you can get this loan approved or why is it that I wasn't told about this specific product? <clears throat> we got to understand in, in this specific market or the field that we're in, not every mortgage company, not every bank has the exposure to every single product out, out there under the sun, whereas I do. So when, when a client calls me, I'm, I'm not even only shopping one specific institution. I'm shopping 40 plus institutions all at one time with basically a click of a button. Okay. Well, that's really important stuff to know. And so when we come back from this next break, Phil, Phil and I are going to talk about the things that people should know about what they, what the rules are to buy a second home. For instance, Is there a mile limit uh, of how far the property needs to be? And we'll cover all of that when we get back. Right. We'll also take your calls. You can be part of the Red Hot Real Estate Show. Just call us at 651-641-1071. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Red Hot Real Estate Show here on My Talk 1071. We're joined by Mimi Shoneman from the Red Hot Real Estate Group and Remax Results. Also on the line with us, Phil Olson from Supreme Lending, our puzzle solver. We're also going to take your calls. I want to remind you that Phil has made the amazing offer uh, for every call in today. He's going to donate $25 to the American Cancer Association. So if you want to be part of the show, you can call us at 651-641-1071. Okay, so Phil, you use the term over the the last segment called a golden eagle lender can you maybe go a little deeper with with what that means to the consumer Uh, what that basically means is that we've been audited by the federal government a thoroughly thoroughly vetted we have to have so many millions and millions of dollars in the bank and they they've checked out our best practices to ensure that we are representing the public to the best of their interest. And last but not least, 
we have the volume, the volume that Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or FH, or Ginnie Mae would want. So you have to be an extremely big lender. And I mean, we are, we're ranked right now as 12th largest lender in the United States. So by volume, Phil, do you mean the number of clients that you're able to service? The number of loans that we close on a monthly basis okay. and the number of millions and millions of dollars that we sell right. directly to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Okay. Which means he's mm-hmm. fancy. Yeah, Phil, very fancy. Phil is fancy. <laughs> we should get him a t-shirt, Mimi. <laughs> Phil, Phil is fancy. Right? <laughs> no, I, I, we're just messing with you, Phil. Right. No, we no, appreciate all that you Let's save it for the next show. <laughs> That's impressive, for real, yes. for real. Okay, so let's just talk real quickly some of the things that folks should be thinking about if they want to buy a second home. And a second home doesn't necessarily mean a lake home, right, Phil? No, it does not necessarily mean a lake home. It could be a home on high high acreage land. It could be used for hunting usage as long as there's a, a residence there that will meet the specific criteria. But your, your standard rule of thumb is the property should be at least 50 miles away from it is the, your current residence. That being said, I just did a second home, okay? The property is only 13 miles away. And you might go, well, why did it qualify? Well, their house was in East Bethel, and it was in East Bethel proper, meaning right in town. 13 miles away on a lake on one acre is this beautiful home, and it met the criteria for a second home. So I was able to help that consumer it is by that specific property. But standard rule of thumb, it should be about 50 miles away as the crow flies. Okay. Well, that brings up a great question because you do have a great story of the week to share with us about uh, what happens if somebody wants to buy a second property, but they're cash poor. Yep. So I had this client, they said that they wanted to buy a home and they already owned a home in the North Metro and they wanted to buy a lake home, but they had no cash for the down payment. And they had no cash as far as reserves, meaning they didn't have any 401ks, investments, or anything like that. So I basically did a thorough analysis of their complete financial picture, along with their residence that they currently own. And I was able to do a $100,000 cash out. They used $76,000 for the purchase of the home. The remaining 24000 that they pulled out went into their bank account. That was used as reserves, showing that they had the capability of being able to make a mortgage payment in tough times. There, and I closed the loan in 30 days. I closed the refinance in 30 days. I closed the purchase in 30 days. They closed simultaneously, meaning they bought, they did a refi one day. They had, excuse me, they had to wait three days for the cash to get into their account. And then approximately it was four days after we closed in the refi, they purchased their second home. Wow. Let's mm-hmm. just say, for instance, that they they decided after they've gotten into that second home that that's just where they want to be. They don't want that other house. So how would that affect somebody that did that scenario that you just described? Well, then, then the scenario could even get better for the consumer. They could end up, once they sell their home, and let's say they're carrying two mortgage payments, and let's say their second home mortgage payment might be a little bit higher than they had wanted, they can then come back to us and do what's called an automatic recast and a re-amortization. 
and then they can pay down their mortgage. I, I call it kind of buffet-style mortgage payment, all right? I can then help them plan out how much to put more down on their house and then reduce their mortgage payment. So can you tell us again the difference between a recast and another refinance? Yes, great question. Uh, a lot of lenders will not offer the option of a recast. We do. Okay. They would require that you have to do another type of refinance, which ends up you end up having to pay five to six thousand dollars in additional fees. Mm-hmm. By going the by going to the route of the recast, you deal with our servicing department. You fill out the paperwork, which is very very simple. And the only criteria on the recast is that you're current on your monthly payment, and then there's a fee of about three hundred dollars to basically redo the note of the mortgage. That's a big savings, you're right. Huge. Mm-hmm. And so, Phil, just to kind of elaborate on that a little bit, so if, if a traditional person was going to refinance their mortgage, typically the fee would be about 1%. Is that correct? Ish? Uh, on, a ref- on a refinance, I would probably say your standard fee, along with escrows, taxes, and insurance, uh, it, it's probably 2 2.5%. Now, what what do we charge to do a loan? It's a flat fee, thirteen ninety five. But keep in mind, there's five or six other people, parties that are in play when doing a refinance or doing a purchase. Right. But the point is, is that uh, if you just say, call your servicer and say, you know what, I just want to refinance, they may or may not know anything about the recasting. And if they did, you're saying you can do it for a flat fee of around three to five hundred dollars, right? It's three to four hundred dollars. Our servicing department handles that. Uh, the only criteria is that the consumers made their monthly mortgage payment consistently for the last six months. Once they've made their payment over six months, then they can do a recast and a reamortization. So let's just say in this COVID environment that we have right now, that somebody did elect to do the forbearance, and then they decide that they want to do all of this. Is there a waiting period for somebody like that that would have to wait? to do a refi or a recast? I Okay, right now under COVID-19, the new, the new model is, is they have to get out of the forbearance, they have to bring the forbearance current, and as long as they've done those two specific criterias and their income has come back to stability, meaning they're making the same amount of money or they qualify based on their current earnings, they can now do a refinance. Okay. So there's lots of things because so many people have equity in their homes right now, more than the the downturn market of 2008, significantly more people have equity in their homes, and which is great because it just shows that we, we've learned something from the last down market. So for those folks that are thinking about a second home, I would say give us a call and let's talk about what the options are. Wouldn't you say, Phil? I would tell you that right now, over the last, I would say, 45 days, I cannot tell you the number of calls of people deciding to move out into rural areas or buy a second home. And I think it's due to multiple reasons, but I'll give you one big reason right now. Employers are finding out that people can work from home and are just as productive. So now people are moving out to the northern woods, buying their cabin, selling their home here in the cities and still conducting work, even if it's 200 miles away from their previous employer. Right. Well, let's go back to talking a little bit about what some of the 
the guidelines would be for folks that want to move away and get a second home. First of all, they have to live in the property for a certain amount of time in the year. How long is that, Phil? Uh, Primary residence requires that you live in the home for at least 50%. Uh, As far as the criteria on a second home, it's normally 50%, but you can live there less. And I know of a lot of people that are also using Airbnbs on their second home purchases where they're living there part of the year and then they're renting it out the rest of the year. Okay, so being able to Airbnb it for a portion of the time is not a problem as long as it's not more than 50%. Correct. Okay, and how do people prove that they've been there 50% of the time? That's a good question. I wouldn't even know how to answer it. (laughs) And And who would be checking to find out, Phil? Is there like a, a, a security task force that fo- that's following you around? You got to show your, um, your how much your electricity is one month to the next. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'll just say it's 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 the mortgage FBI. Laugh, <laughs> laugh, laugh. No, uh, there's really nothing out there. The only the only way a mortgage service or a mortgage lender is going to dig into a situation like that is if you fall behind on your mortgage or if you put them in a position of a lawsuit. Otherwise, I, I have yet to ever have a call from somebody that they got a knock at the door. Okay. Yeah. Well, we didn't know. We're not trying to, where's the trick question? No, we're just curious. <laughs> oh, that, Ms. Shannon are they there. like hiding in your bushes waiting with a camera? <laughs> Ms. Shannon's over there yeah. look at, looking online at viewgreaterminneapolishomes.com right now. Yeah, let me figure I see, out. She's yeah. got some lake homes right up on the screen. I see it right over there. She's like, yeah. Vision, I'm ready. Visions of canoeing, a little fishing action, right. all that kind of stuff. She's like, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> I need a breather. Right. (laughs) Okay. Mm -hmm. So the other thing, right before we go into break, is that um, it has to be suitable for year-round occupancy. I can't go and put a a tiny camper (laughs) on a piece of land and call that my second home. Or those, what do you call them, those three-season houses? Is that what you call them? Yeah. Okay. Drop a little trailer there and see what happens. Let me... Let me talk about three season. We can do three season homes. Most okay. lenders can't. Now, what is a what is a three season home? A three season home may not have water to it, and, and basically the water might be drawn out of the lake, and it may not have heating. Okay. Well, we can go more into that definition when we return. We're talking to Phil Olson from Supreme Lending and Mimi Shoneman from the Red Hot Real Estate Group. We'll be right back on the Red Hot Real Estate Show on My Talk 107.1. Welcome back to the Red Hot Real Estate Show here on My Talk 107.1. I'm Ms. Shannon here with Mimi Shoneman from the Red Hot Real Estate Group. Mr. Phil Olson from Supreme Lending. Reminding you that if you call in, if you have a question, Phil has agreed to donate $25 to the American Cancer Association on your behalf. And that number is 651-641-107. Yeah, and I will pay money for anybody that calls to say Phil is fancy. Phil is fancy. Yeah. I told you. I got friends that make t-shirts. So I'm going to get that done. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> this is our next project. And that cool hand, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Hand, that, that the handwriting wait, script. I wanted to say, wait one minute. <laughs> wait, you, wait. Guys, you guys have so many doggone pet names for me. Yes. I love it. Yeah. Okay, Phil. We're going to skip some section here, and we're just going to go straight into some horror stories. And you had right. a horror story about a, a shared well agreement. You want to tell it? Oh, absolutely. So, um, my talkers, what is a shared well? A well is it's a shared well because it basically sits 
on one person's property, but your neighbor who owns a home basically draws water from that specific well. And my horror story is we did a well test to find out that the well was, was had a very, very high level bacteria of E. coli. Oh. And because it was a shared well, oh yeah, not good, uh, it required that the well had to be serviced, it had to be shocked, it had to be retested. Standard cost is about 600 bucks, could be more depending on the area you're in. And my consumer or my buyer who owned the home wanted to pay for half the cost. Well, his neighbor refused to pay to have the well shocked, refused to pay for half the cost, refused to pay for the testing because they said we don't have the money. So there's a horror story for you. If you're going to buy a second home, be very, very careful if you're going to get into a shared well agreement. Well, first of all, you know, I've I've had sellers that have had a shared well and thankfully they had a written legal agreement. And so that is something that you want to make sure that is in place because for things exactly just like this. So if X, Y or Z happens or what if your well pump goes out and that's at least a thousand dollars? You know, who's going to pay for a new pump? Because you got to get water, right? Right. And it's not city water, so you got to drink something. So E. coli, keep in mind, you know. That's all your water, right? So both of you drinking this stuff. So you would think that people would cooperate, but it's never always that simple. Right. Right. (laughs) I mean, I don't. We got to get one of those things that you could go. I don't have the money. I'm like. I, yeah. I'm confused, Phil, but I'm, I get it. I'm glad that I don't have to deal with that. Yeah, I'm calling mm-hmm. Grandma for that loan. Right. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so when you start talking about wells and septics, first of all, you always, always want to inspect that. And certain cities have certain requirements that sellers have to to do to make sure that the the well and the septic are compliant, like in Washington County. Right, Phil? That's correct. Okay. So um, the further out you go the more likely it is that you're going to see wells and septics. Um, you see them even in Stillwater. You see them all over the place. So it's not something, but you're probably not going to see a well and septic in St. Paul. Right, Phil? No, um, highly unlikely. Yeah. And if you do see one, it's probably because uh, it was put in back in the day when the house was built and the sellers have just been using that uncapped well to water the grass. And so for folks like that, Phil, what do you say? Um, Well, I mean, if they have a well that's currently on their property and it's being used to to water their grass, I've seen those, they're still in existence. Most of the time, though, I'll see where a well has been capped or if it's maybe not been capped correctly, that's where purchase transactions sometimes can, can go awry based on the fact that they have a well on the property, but it hasn't been capped. Yeah. So when you're thinking about second homes and second properties, one of the things to think about is the type of the home that's on the property. Um, For instance, you know, what style is it? Is it a frame, a log cabin? Like you said, Phil, three season, which Supreme Lending can lend on. And, you know, sometimes it's just an apartment over a garage. Correct. Now, the, the thing about what, what Mimi's just talked about is I would consider all of those to be considered unique properties. And you've got to be very, very careful with unique properties. Now, 
a log cabin is not that unique. There's lots of them in northern Minnesota and also in northern Wisconsin. Normally, you're able to find comparables, and what we're talking about is, is the appraisal, being able to determine the value of the property. And every lender out there is going to require that there's at least one comparable of a log home that's sold normally within the last year. Things, though, get a little bit more difficult when you say an A-frame home because you're going to want to see another A-frame home because that's a different type of construction. Now, three-season homes we've already talked about, but I, I and they can be done, and I can do them. But I did have a client here a couple of years ago who wanted to build a four-stall garage and then build a loft-style home over the top out in the middle of the woods. And my first question to my consumer is, oh, well, do you, do you see any of these type of properties like that out there? And he go, they go, no. I go, more than likely you can't build it. And if you are going to build it, then you're going to become a cash buyer because lenders, it all comes down to risk. Mm-hmm. How do you value a property? How do you value a property when there's no other properties out there that an appraiser can find considering the consumer's building really just a commercial garage and wants a loft with a bedroom and maybe a small kitchenette over the top. Okay. Well, Phil, you and I had a unique property story last summer, I recall it uh, distinctly, where it was a berm house and where you could see everything was on the main level and it backed up into the land. So to find a comp for that particular type of house is really difficult. And I don't know, I think, Ms. Shannon, you talked to me about being, you know, kind of, you know, mesmerized by an octagon house. Yes, I showed you that picture. Yeah. That's only over in Plymouth, so it wasn't even far. <laughs> right. And there was a couple of them. And I'm like, oh, it looks like, yeah, I'm dating myself. It looked like a Monchichi house. Like, that was a cartoon that I liked mm-hmm. when I was a kid. So, but you were like, no, non-standard houses are non-standard for a reason well Mm -hmm. you know the more different that it looks like the harder it is to find a comp right and the reason that we care about the comps is because that's what the appraiser is going to look at they're going to be using the same properties that we're using to say okay machine and yeah this is okay to offer on this type of house because all these and that have sold that look kind of similar to that yes um so phil some of the other things that i think that, that we talked about that you need to think about is what else is on the land. Is there any commercial type buildings? Correct. You got to worry about, about what such as such as silos. Are they, are they working silos? Are there barns? Are there commercial buildings on it? Is there something on the property that's called considered to be income producing? Um, you're talking about commercial properties now. We're lending on what's called a residential property. And yes, we can do hobby farms. Okay. But if you were to say, but if you were to say, Phil, can you help this consumer buy this farm? It's got three barns on it, three silos. It's got a thousand head of cattle. I would tell you no, because that is considered to be an agricultural loan. That's called a farm loan. Okay. I don't do farm loans. That's very, very specialized loans. Okay, so some of the things that I've had people say to me that they want when they move out of the city is they want room to put, for instance, a home garage. They fix people's cars or they have a like a plumbing business. And so they've got vans and they need an outbuilding for things like that. Would that be considered commercial? And could you lend on that? 
Those would not be considered commercial. Uh, the one, my first question would be is how is the property zoned? Is it zoned residential commercial? Is it zoned commercial? Is it zoned agricultural? And that has to do with your title work. But as far as a consumer wanting to move their business and then erecting a pole barn that would handle all the equipment they have, I would say yes, but there's a but. Before you do that, you're going to want to contact the city to see if that is allowable on your property. And there are some cities that will not allow that. Yeah, 100%. And I also know of an instance where somebody bought a piece of land and they constructed a pole barn up Mm -hmm. north. And one of the neighbors had a commercial type of business and they wanted to have uh, ingress into that particular area so that they could get to their property, but use it passing through their their driveway. And so you want to think, you want to tell everybody, no matter, even if you're looking at second properties or not, you want to look at your neighbors and pay attention to what it is that they're doing in their backyard. You know, what is it? Because when you get there, you're going to be seeing all of these things and maybe right. it'll affect you and maybe it won't. Um, so those are important things to do. But I also hear people that have desired to find a cheap lot up mm-hmm. north, someplace cool on a lake, and they want to knock down a cabin and right. build a, a McMansion. Yes. Well, you need to pay attention to what the city ordinances are for things like that, because they might have setbacks that maybe they have size restrictions. Maybe they have height restrictions. What else do you see for people who have that dream? Uh, is it in a flood zone? Okay. Just because you buy a property on a lake doesn't mean it hasn't flooded in the last 100 years. And I ran into that about a year and a half ago where they had the plat. They were building a house, and then we found out that they were in a flood zone. We literally had to demolish half of the uh, foundation, move the house back, and that's because they didn't do their due diligence up front. So, I mean, there's so many things to think about when buying a second home. You know, acreage, if it's over 20 acres, it might be difficult to finance. Is it in a flood zone? How about the following? Does it have a boathouse? And you will see this more so over in western Wisconsin, or you'll see it on some of your really big lakes. Um, Why does that matter? The The boathouse, why is that a factor? Because it maybe cost them $50,000 to build, uh, but the appraiser is going to give it zero value. So if you've got a $400,000 home and you built this beautiful boathouse for $50,000 and now you want to sell your house for $450,000, the comparables are only going to be based on the house unless you can find another comparable with a boathouse. And a boathouse is considered to be a unique item. Uh, here's the other thing people need to consider when they buy a second home is what else are they trying to put into the purchase agreement? You know what I'm talking about, Mimi, where they add all kinds of additional items that are maybe outside of the house. A hundred percent, your personal property. Um, so, uh, on a lake home, what would that be? I mean, maybe people are selling their boat that goes along with the house as an incentive, uh, maybe they've got, you know, tools and implements that they use, great big lawnmowers that rides around, things like that. Or the dock. We see that's pretty common to see that a dock stays with the house. 
So, Phil, when we come back from the break, I do want to go back to talking about high acreage properties and continue to talk about some of the other things, particularly about associations and horror stories. All right, we'll cover that and more at the Red Hot Real Estate Show. You can call us at 651-641-1071. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Red Hot Real Estate Show here on MyTalk 1071 and streaming on MyTalk1071.com. With us today, of course, Mimi Shoneman from the Red Hot Real Estate Group and our friend Phil Olson from Supreme Lending. Again, if you call in, you can be a part of the show. The number is 651-641-1071. And so we are going to go straight to the phones because we appreciate everyone's patience when they call in. So on the line right now, Paul, thank you for calling into the Red Hot Real Estate Show. What's your question, please? Well, my question is, I, I uh, own a home now. It's not fully paid for. I have about $150,000 in equity in it. I retired. Since I retired, my income has dropped probably in half, make about 50000 with with all, uh, all said and done. Um, I'm wondering if that's going to affect um, me getting a mortgage since my income is, is lower. Um, I want to I want to downsize by a condo or a townhome. Um, like I said, I, I've had to have an impeccable credit rating. Um, so I'm just wondering how that that enters into the mix. Well, I when you retire. well, Paul, thank you very much for calling and for listening to the show. Yeah, you know, the first thing that pops into my mind is that maybe because you have such a good equity position, is that you do a buy first and sell second. Phil, you want to jump in? Well, you could, you can, you, you might be able to do a buy first, sell second, but based, based on the fact that I hear the words downsizing, I hear that you have a good equity position. I hear that we're going to buy a townhome or a condo. Maybe that price point is 200, 250. Uh, I definitely think as long as the consumer doesn't have excessive debt, uh, I believe the debt to income ratios would be well below 50%. And there, and even if they weren't, we could maybe use the equity from the home of the sale to bring down the debt to income ratios to get the consumer to qualify. So, based on everything I'm hearing from Paul, it definitely sounds to me like well, a doable I, deal. I was kind of uh, told at one point that if you pay down your debt too fast, it's a scar on your credit rating. Like let's say, let's say I owe nine thousand dollars to a credit card. If I took yeah, uh, equity out of the house and paid the nine thousand dollars. It looked bad. Or if I took nine thousand dollars out of my four hundred one k, that would look bad. Is that true? Um, I don't know, Paul. I don't know who told you that, but I, I would love to take this conversation offline. Uh, I'm not. Go- I'm not going to agree. I don't think it's okay. going to hurt your credit at all. To be honest okay. with you. But he might not have to do it either, right, Phil? It just takes a, a deeper look at the particulars. Uh, what, what I'm only going to advise to the consumer what has to be done in order to get them qualified and get them to buy their property. And I'm definitely not going to recommend something that's going to jeopardize their credit or it's going to jeopardize their financial future. Right. I mean, I'll be honest with you, Paul. There was a time where, like, I've paid down enough of mine. It feels like you don't have to pay that off right now. That's not going to make a difference. So, <laughs> so he'll let you know if you, if you know, you don't. I mean, not that we just shouldn't for your financial health eventually pay down your credit cards. I'm just saying, real talk, you may not have to get that done to get the house. Is what Phil I think is telling you. So, yeah, he's going to work your work your puzzle, Paul. Right. <laughs> 
Thanks, Thanks, Paul. We appreciate it. I know Phil's going to follow up with them. My producer, Sonny, got all of Phil's information. And I think that that's why it's always fair to call in and begin the conversation because it does, as Phil said at the beginning of the show, everyone's different. So it might be that maybe there was some reason that whoever he was speaking with before said, this is one of the the, the qualifying conditions that we have. So it is a matter of going, okay. You know, we might just decide that that's not something that you need to do right now. Yeah. So, uh, so Mimi, when we were talking about looking into particular um, properties and yes. you're trying to decide what your second home is, and I know that there's some things that people have to look into themselves because you, as their realtor, can advise them on making smart buying decisions. But there's certain things that you aren't supposed to do to steer them to and from a neighborhood. No. So, what are kind of the questions that they should be asking themselves about their second homes? Well, you know, there's lots of things. So, for instance, Phil was just talking about acreage and flood zones and zoning. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we're working with sellers and also with buyers, we are looking for that kind of information. We'll pull what's called an O&E report with our title company and we'll make sure, you know, what encumbrances are showing up on there for starters. And we also have a flood zone report that we can pull if somebody wants. Right. So, you know, you definitely we have resources for people. Um, if you are in a flood zone, um, you know, you definitely want to know that before you purchase a property because right. that can either cause you to not be able to get financing or it could cause you to uh, have expensive uh, loan costs and also in- expensive insurance. insurance costs. So, yeah, so there's lots of things. Um, let's talk about lakes. Right. Um, since we are ta- a lot of people up here like to um I mean, we live in the the land of ten thousand lakes, so it's very difficult to uh, you know to avoid them sometimes. But now people really want to have that view. Yes. Um, so th- some of the things that you want to think about with lakes. Uh, first of all, you want to know the health of the lake. Right. You, you want to make sure that um, the water uh, clarity is good, and you also want to think about what what is the bottom of the lake like. Okay. Um, so there have been instances in the cities where there are certain lakes that suffer and they have a serious problem. And and I won't name any names, but there was a lake in town Mm -hmm. that's pretty recognizable that was losing water. Okay. And so it took the engineers years to be able to figure out what the issue was. But the homeowners that that lived around there, that was affecting their valuation right. of their homes. Because if you buy a lake home, you want to be able well, to have, have the lake, the lake right. that you that you wanted when you bought it. Right. Um, so there's things like that. There's also, you know, you want to know if you're a fisher angler type of person, um, what type of fish or species that you're fishing for. What's the population look like in okay. there? Um, you know, it, are you going to need a, a, a dock or mm-hmm. a boathouse, things like that? Um, so there's lots of things to think about when you have uh, a lake home. Right. It's not just about the property. And, and in the last segment, we did talk about the egress and the ingress. So okay. sometimes, you know, you might be able to get a deal on a property, but how do you get to it? Correct. Do you have to cross over somebody else's property in order to be able to gain access to yours? 
if that is the case, and we do see some of that, but we don't see a ton of it. Okay. You definitely want to have a written agreement with the neighbor that, that that's happening with, because you don't want to all of a sudden, you know, move into somebody and you've got this verbal thing going on. And then all of a sudden they go, yeah, no, I've changed my mind. And no, you can't come in. So what are you going to do? Get a helicopter, land on your right. land. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm being, you know, exaggerating. Right. But I but, mean, that would be a scenario that you wouldn't want to have sprung upon you right Mm -hmm. and you also want to think about the city council um what kinds of things are going to be happening you know in zoning coming down the road from the city council are they doing setbacks that you didn't expect all kinds of things like that so uh you want to maybe go to a meeting with the city council and and see what they're proposing for your particular area your city or your town or your lake um, all of those are important. And also, are there association fees? Okay. And what do the so association... So even on those, some of those 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 vacation properties, those second home properties, they still might be in an association scenario. There may be. Okay. And you definitely want to take the time to research what's included, and especially the rules and regulations and what the restrictions are in those particular types of properties. Now, with regard to the acreage, uh, a lot of people now are thinking, you know, with the food shortage that we had, that we experienced during the shutdown, a lot of folks are talking about home gardening and mm-hmm. making a mini farm, hobby farm. You definitely want to make sure that you understand what has happened on that land. People are very particular about pesticides and things that have been used on there for farming. Right. Um, those kinds of things. So you'll want to do a soil test. And it's very advisable for you to also do a survey so that you know exactly what the boundaries of your land is. Right. You know, so if you're thinking about having agriculture, where's the water source going to come from? Is there a well? Mm-hmm. Um, also, things like, uh, is there a house that that maybe is, is uh, in disrepair? Right. So if anybody wants to talk about second homes, we'd love to talk to you through the week. 651-578-2218. Or research or call us, Mimi at mnredhotrealestate.com. And we know you can reach Phil at 651-238-6748. That's 651-238-6748. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Red Hot Real Estate Show. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.